0: Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help you escape your toxic job and do work that matters to you. This week's episode is a little bit different. I was recently a guest on Confession Radio with David Allen of Dynamic Reverb, and we had such a great conversation that I asked if we could cross-share the podcast. David graciously agreed, and that is what we are bringing you today. In the conversation, we listen to a caller's concern about their job search applications, how they're not hearing back from recruiters, and what to do when you feel like everything you're doing is getting lost in the job board black hole. David masterfully guides the conversation as we weave in and out all sorts of job search topics, helping you better navigate your own search. If you'd like to hear more episodes and learn more about David Allen's work, head over to dynamicreverb.com and leave a review. So without further ado, here's my episode with Confession Radio, I hope you enjoy.
1: The chirping crickets, the defeating silence, you've applied to countless jobs, yet you still haven't heard back from a hiring manager. It's no wonder people describe looking for a job as one of the hardest jobs a person can have. Falling into what's known as the application black hole is a common experience, one that often frustrates even the most optimistic job applicants. You're applying for jobs and just not hearing back. It's by far one of the most frustrating aspects of job searching. After carefully customizing your resume and cover letter to match the specific details of the job description, you send in your job application and nothing if you're not hearing from employers, take heart in knowing that you're not alone. It takes almost six months, on average, for those who have a decade of experience to find a new job. Meanwhile, headlines are saying record number of job openings, and many employers said that they are doing everything in their power to entice potential employees. For some jobs available, people don't have the right skills, or at least the skills employers say they're looking for. Other jobs are undesirable, they offer bad pay or an unacceptable schedule, or just don't feel worth it to unemployed workers, many of whom who are rethinking their priorities. There must be some sort of explanation, right? After all, your job skills, previous work experience and overall knowledge make you a strong candidate. If you're not hearing back about jobs you've applied to, there's probably a reason why employers aren't responding.
2: Good afternoon. I'm a multi-level leader and sales mentor that was recently terminated due to a company closure. It has been over five years since I've had to be on the market for a new role and position. And it's been about three weeks now since I've started my search and the results have been disturbing. To share a recent experience, I applied for a position through online and received an email from a recruiter in less than 72 hours. We scheduled a time to talk and during that conversation, I was already sure and excited about joining this company. The recruiter immediately let me know that I was a top candidate and asked me if I could schedule a final interview with the district manager and the HR recruiter as soon as possible. This role had been up for 30 days online. The interview process was like none I've ever heard of before, including ones that maybe I attempted to give my future employees at the time when I was doing recruiting and hiring. I was given a digital guide, references, resource page to prepare me for this final interview. And at first I was a little nervous, but I easily was kind of uh, made more comfortable, especially being the fact that about 30 minutes before the interview started, that same recruiter called me for a 15 minute follow up. Um, The information that they gave me was strictly for candidates, right? It had history about their business, employee testimonials, a word from their CEO, the company's values and motivation to recruit people like myself who are you know people driven oriented uh driven so sales focused customer focused the second interview went great right it felt more like a conversation between three people who were passionate about being successful having balance and taking care of their people i was told that they would i would receive a call about the following wednesday well wednesday rolled around and i heard nothing thursday nothing friday i sent an email nothing I let an entire new week go by and I sent a second email and received a response two days later stating that they had completed the rest of their scheduled interviews and maybe they had a couple of more to do this week and I would hopefully be receiving a phone call back the following week. Within time, they posted the job online again, still not a word from anyone, even to say, hey, thank you for your patience or the courtesy to say we will be moving forward with another candidate. In addition to this experience, I've applied to over 30 positions in three weeks with very few responses, multiple no-shows for interviews that companies are setting up with me, and when I look online, it sounds like there are a ton of people going through this same thing. What would you recommend for us who are ready to work to do in these kinds of situations?
1: Welcome to Confession Radio. I am your host, David Allen, and today... We are going to be talking about these very issues. I have reached out to Martin McGovern of CareerTherapy.com, and we had a conversation about just these issues. Welcome to the show, Confession Radio, Martin McGovern from CareerTherapy.com. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Outstanding. Thank you for having us. Honestly. Thank you for your time. So really, I just wanted to bring you on because you're an expert in in the recruiting realm. Right. And so
0: tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Absolutely. So I come, I started my career out in marketing and advertising before moving into education, career and professional development. And I currently work as a career coach, helping people through really difficult transitions in their careers, and really kind of helping them navigate both the emotional and promotional sides of things. So how do you, how do you stay motivated? How do you keep from falling into like really bad pits of depression or anxiety? And then how do you put yourself out there in a way that actually connects and works? so
1: promotional emotional to promotional i really like that tell me a little bit about that so how does somebody not get emotional and how does somebody get promoted
0: uh well when it comes to not being emotional uh there's a lot of different things that we can do Uh, the first one is we're probably going to get emotional so accepting that that's going to be a part of it (laughs) is a really big thing and knowing that it's going to happen helps us prepare for it so we can use a lot of different sort of if then statements if this happens then i'm going to respond in these ways so that we're ready for it when it happens so let's say if i don't hear back from a company when they say they're going to get back to me then this is what i'm going to do next versus kind of just having a panic attack when you know on a friday when you didn't hear back sure. um and then on the promotional side of things um it's a lot of reframing how we think about the job search and our place in it. Today, I had a great conversation with a group of seekers about thinking of it more as like a game and a skill that you have to build to win the game and really looking at examples of other people that are doing well in this game of their career and trying to model yourselves after the best behaviors and you know also find your own sort of twist on it. And so um, you know, bringing in a lot of different marketing stuff, bringing in a lot of different um, emotional, Uh, therapeutic kind of mindsets, and then really taking 10 steps back and realizing that most of what happens in the job search is not personal. It's very much just business. And probably the biggest thing that I help people do is treat companies the way that they treat you. Uh, We tend as job seekers to be very um, insecure and maybe overly vulnerable. And companies are very marketing focus, they're, they're promoting themselves and they're very stoic. And so you kind of hit those two sides together and it can create some friction. Whereas, you know, treat this very much the way that they treat it, you know, low stakes, high um, activity. And um, if they're putting in a lot of effort, you put in a lot of effort. If they're not really putting in that much effort, kind of match their energy and, and sort of, you know, again, the way that a company would just hire someone and then 3 months later lay them off if the budget changed you mm-hmm. can do the same thing in your career you can take a job and then go i found something better i'm out cheers and like really helping people understand that this is this is not a personal process although it it does feel that way when you're in it it is very interesting because uh, I I f-
1: currently find myself in a situation like that. Um, real briefly, I was working for a company that just literally closed its doors; like the whole business went on under. It's not uncommon. I get it, it. It happens. But when it happens to you, you're just like, "Shit, what's next?" You know. And and unfortunately for me, this is not the first time I found myself in this situation. Um, and the first time it happened to was uh, right before the pandemic happened. But my my concern now is that like I feel like it's gotten worse with the recruiting process and I've been doing a lot of research and talking to other recruiters and I understand completely that there's one person looking at 500 applications a day so of course mm-hmm. your eyes are going to go crossed but where do you feel there's a flaw in the system obviously we're not getting callbacks we're 100 200 300 applications a week and we're not getting anything do you have any advice on that
0: Yes, a a ton. So the first thing is I talk to recruiters all the time and I ask them a lot of different questions about what they're looking for. So the first thing that recruiters are looking for, I guess another way we can think about it is what incentivizes them. Looking at people's incentives is incredibly important for understanding how to interact with them. So if you think about this from a a marketing perspective, right? Uh, if I want to sell something, I need to sell it in a way that you care about. So if I'm Nike and I come to you and I say, hey, do you want to buy our shoes? Because our shareholders would like to make more money this year. You'd go, no, not really. (laughs) Uh, But if I say, hey, these shoes are going to get you a lot of buzz on your social media page. Are you looking to do that? And then you go, well, actually, I'm a sneakerhead and I'd love to get some more buzz. Now we're talking, now we're cooking, right? So when people talk with companies, or talk with recruiters, very often the way that we talk to a recruiter or companies, we say, here's what I want. And, you know, the, the internet really does help, like, over-focus on the, end of, on the job seeker. It's like, what's your passion? What's your goal? What's, and it gets so, it's like we're telling people to figure out their entire life while going through one of the hardest times in their life. It's a little right. bit much. And so I try to shift the focus away from the job seeker and say, like, don't worry about you right now worry about the company's problems if you understand their problems and what they're going through and then you give them a solution to that problem you're going to get hired and when the recruiter is talking to you a lot of times we go well here's what i want here's what i'm looking for here's what i need and then the recruiter goes great and then they don't know how to sell that because they haven't connected the dots and we haven't connected them for them so what they end up falling back on because they're so overwhelmed is do you have a big name company or a big name school? And if you have those things, they know you're already vetted and then you're an easy sell. Or they say, have you done this job already? And then it's just a click, click, right? I poached okay. you and I placed you. If you have a story that's not easy to tell and not easy to sell, a recruiter, a recruiter's ability to help you drops dramatically. And so um, I work with a lot of people who are going through a boot camp in order to change careers from like, teacher to UX designer or musician to coder, and they have maybe finished high school, maybe finished a little bit of college, or maybe they have a a degree, but they're going through this big transition and they don't have like Google on their thing, or they don't have Harvard or whatever the thing is that the recruiter is looking for. And the recruiter eventually at some point can't really help them because the incentives for the recruiter are, are you easy to sell? And are you going to make a high enough salary for me to get a good commission? And if you're an entry-level person with a difficult story, recruiters can't really help. If you're a high, like, you know, senior or director-level person who's going to make a huge, they're going to get a great return on that placement, and you worked at a big-name company, they're going to be all over it. And so what ends up happening is that recruiters are almost become their own worst enemy because they try and go for scale, but then they don't know how to actually handle the scale when it comes through. And then they ghost a lot of people and it makes everyone really, I don't know, burnt out at the end of the day. And in the clip we heard
1: basically the same question I just asked you. So you already kind of answered that question, but it's just the ghosting part. And, you know, so how can we incentivize our resumes? in order to make them want to at least, I mean, just give me an interview. You know what I mean? Like, that's all I'm asking. I could be denied after that. That makes sense. Cause once I connect with you, I could sell myself, no problem. Or, or I'm assuming everybody can sell themselves. But what the problem is, it's just getting to that step and that's where we're the disconnect is happening.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of different aspects there. Um, So a few things that I always am trying to help people with when they're trying to get to that interview um, is especially with companies that you're all let's let's say what you're talking to the company already and they're ghosting you quote unquote right. so the first thing is have they actually ghosted you first um because sometimes we jump to ghosting before it's actually happened sure. so if a company says on wednesday we had a great interview we'll be back to you by friday you're going to hear that and you're going to believe them Don't believe them. (laughs) I always add at least a week in my expectations as to when I'm going to hear back from this company. If they say Friday, I expect the next Friday just to keep myself sane. And then if they get back to me sooner than that, you know, wonderful. So I always add time because I know that what it's like on their side is very different than what it's like on my side. On my side, a day is a month. It feels like an eternity Mm -hmm. when I'm waiting for an answer on their side, a week feels like a day. So I assume I'm not going to hear back. And I assume that they're busy and I assume that they're overwhelmed. So I shift my approach to be, to being one of not waiting for an answer, but trying to be the most helpful person that they interact with in the job search. Mm -hmm. So even in my follow-ups, most people, when they send a follow-up, they say, do you have an update on this? All that does is stress out the recruiter or stress (laughs) out the hiring manager. And now they're going to ignore your email because they don't have an answer yet because there's a whole committee that they're waiting to hear back on, especially if they're a recruiter and they're a middleman. Now they're stressed out. Now they're going to ignore it. Interesting. What I do instead is I say, is there anything else you need from me to keep things moving forward? And then they respond, actually, no, thank you for checking in. I don't need anything. We're just a little backed up. And I had, you know, I, I hoped we'd be further along than we are right now. Uh, I'll be back to you. And then we have to be really persistent. There was one company that I was, tr- I'd gone through like six interviews with. It was ridiculous. And they kept, you know, there were huge gaps between each interview. And I was just, you know, seeing how this was all going to play out because I'm a career coach. So let's let's keep it going. Right. and uh, And I would send them an email like every two weeks, once a month. You know, this went on for like four to six months or something like that. And I was interviewing at other places and I was taking other contracts. And eventually, I got a uh, message back from them, and they're like, "Sorry, we went with someone internally." And I was so angry. I was like, "Really? All that? And you went internally? Why'd you even bother looking outside the company?" Right. So I was super bummed about it. And then I went to a TED talk, <laughs> <laughs> and the person talking at the TEDx. Was one of the like lead people at that company I was like oh that 's interesting i 'm going to hear some things about this company that turned me down here we go and uh <laughs> while While they were talking, I googled the company and realized that they had gone under that morning oh. and so they didn 't go with an internal person. they shut down the entire location and then oh. shut down the whole company and so I think there's so much happening behind the scenes that we don 't know. And probably one of the most difficult things for us is that we're going to make an assumption. And that assumption is either this person is a, is a jerk and now I'm angry or I suck and they don't, lo- they don't want me. And both of those things destroy the job search because it puts us in that negative tailspin. And so trying to just kind of in that like David Foster Wallace kind of way, like if someone cuts you off, you could assume that they're an a-hole or you can assume that they're taking their kid to the hospital just assume they're 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 trying their best to be nice. <laughs> right. And if they ghosted you it's because their life is a mess <laughs> and, and try and have a little bit of empathy.
1: But and that's that's the flip side to this though. I mean we really do have to empathize with the fact that again one person is typically looking I'm 500s probably too much but you know one person I remember when I was a hiring manager for the company I was working for in all all of my years and we would post something, we get 20, 30, 40 applicants. And now I'm running a business. Now I know they're not running businesses, but some mm-hmm. are. Some are store leaders, some are um managers that, you know, or department managers that has been tasked by their store leader to hire somebody and go through 50 resumes and deal with the sales floor or deal with whatever it is that they're dealing with. So I kind of get both sides of it, but it's just such a a blaring thing. And and even in my own experiment, i I've only been unemployed for about three weeks now. And it's just, I've been, I've applied probably for 150 jobs. I've had three interviews and, mm. you know, two of the three I got offers from, but it was just so like, it's just crazy, you know? And and I'm trying to figure out in my head because people within my own network as well, this is what sparked this episode conversation. Mm-hmm. People within my network are having problems. I mean, they're all over the U.S. because the company we worked for is completely closed now. And so... I was more so trying to do some research to help them out and figure out like, Hey, what can we do? What is there? There's clearly some, you know, avenues we can take, but I haven't thought of anything that you just said.
0: Well, and to your point of the number of of applications you've sent out to the number that you've gotten called back on. So this is a a stat that not a lot of people know, but um, online job boards have about a one to 5% response rate, maybe a little higher if you've been in that role in that industry for a while, um, but whenever I'm talking to, you know, these folks that I'm working with who are doing big career transitions, you know, they're entry level jobs that these people are trying to find. And they're like, I've applied to hundred jobs. And I've only heard back from three and they're freaking out. And I go, yeah, that's, that's normal. Right. Then they go, what? <laughs> they're like, what do you mean? That's normal. I'm like, no, that's, that's, that's how, that's like billboards. Like you put a billboard up on the highway. How many people are actually going to see that billboard and, and act off of it? Right. a very small percentage of the people who actually see it. And so um, if you look at it again, from this marketing perspective, um, a one to 5% response rate, I mean, if you, someone had an email list and people were clicking at a one to 5% response rate, like it's not actually not that bad. <laughs> right. um, I mean, maybe it's not good. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been in marketing, but <laughs> my point being is like um, there's when we know that number, we can then decide what to do. And the truth is, is that networking is really the crux and always has been the crux of the job search. Going back to before they were posting things in newspapers, through every innovation, if you want to even call it that, since then, everything is just an additional layer that's adding more barriers between you and people. And so it used to be go into the actual company and drop off your resume on the desk. Then it was send it in through, you know, this, this mailer, then it was fax it to us. Then it was email it to us. Then it was added to a job board. And then, and, and with every new layer of BS, it's um, more competition, right? Because it used to just be the companies that were within your commuting distance. Then it was companies within your state. Then it was companies with, or city, then state. now it's the world and you're literally competing with people in India and China for these jobs that are maybe local to you. And so it's overwhelming. And and what I always say is like strip it back to what's always worked. And the truth is we all want to get to that interview. Well, what is an interview? It's just a super professional networking meeting. And so we should be networking just to prep for the interview. And the more people you talk to, the better you are at interviewing, but also the more prepared you are to understand if this is going to be the right company fit, the more prepared you are in terms of like culture fit and vibe and things like that, the more prepared you are in industry knowledge and the more comfortable you are talking about yourself as well. So it it just, it makes everything better. And typically if you're sending an email to someone to ask for a networking meeting, you'll have about a 40% response rate to those emails um, depending on how you write them. And we could, that's a whole different thing that I I could share out, but, um, 40% versus 1% response rate. I'll take the 40 and I'll still hit the job boards up and combining those two things together. It's that like one, two punch that I think really helps accelerate things. And at the end of the day, um, if you really think about, you know, people hire people, they, they, The more impersonal it is, the more you go through a job board, the harder it is for people to like trust. And building trust is kind of the core of everything.
1: And that's my experience is that the the, the job interviews I have had were through connections of other people. You know, they, they knew me. They introduced me. We had a conversation. I'm a natural conversationalist. You know, on paper, I probably look like a mess. But when we're talking, you know, we're having a great conversation. We're talking about things. Uh, and and I can't stand these conventional interviews, as we talked about before the show, you know, tell me about a time, you know, I, I really think that it's just, it's so amazing to me that we still ask those questions, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and the recruiters, they're, they're like robots now. They've, they said this a hundred times a day, right? So now it's ingrained and you see, you hear, tell me about a time that, you know, so-and-so didn't agree with you. And then you hear the typing in the background, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and there's no feedback about the question or no follow-up, you know, mm-hmm. i I don't know if i was a recruiter recruiter i like to know like what what happened so so you didn't get along so tell me more about that you know (laughs) like you know but there's all these and then it's okay we're gonna send you off i don't even know why there's a middleman anymore because those questions are so irrelevant these days i did a video interview for a company you know one of those uh video like you know they're so stressful they're so stressful and one of the the questions was tell me about a time that you had a month to prepare for a project. And I'm like, in my industry, I have never had a month. I said, I'm not sure. And I, I said this in the video and I just got feedback today about it. So I thought that was hilarious. But um I said, I have never had a month to prepare for a project. Maybe that's how your company operates, but every company I've worked for, it's days or a week if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. So this question to me is irrelevant and I can't answer it. So and the that's recruiter funny. emailed me today and of course they moved on to other candidates but wanted to give me feedback about the question. And I just thought that was it was very interesting. So, I mean, I got the attention.
0: Have, well, there you go. And attention is such a big piece. And yeah. oh man, those pre recorded, that new format drives me nuts. I'm someone who makes videos and content. And that stressed me out when I saw the counter in the top corner saying like, you have 60 <laughs> seconds left. And I'm like, I'm just like racing through an answer. And I only have two chances. to Anyway, there, that's a whole thing.
1: That but, and also um, I don't talk if I don't have this volley <laughs> like we're having right now. It's like 60 yeah. seconds for me. So I submit it and it's like, oh, you haven't submitted enough time. I'm like, what the hell else do you want me to say? <laughs> you know, like, that's, you're not that's interacting. what I do. <laughs>
0: Right. That's why I have a podcast, not a one-way YouTube channel. Like right. I can't just talk you know, to no one. It exactly. Doesn't work for me. You know, so it's just and, funny. But to your point about the interview questions, um, I always say, like, you don't have to give a bad answer to a bad question. Um, they most people are not trained on how to ask questions and how to interview, like they're just thrown into a room and given a list from Google, which we all have access to those lists. So like go sure. study too. But um, the other thing, but like the, when someone says, what are your strengths and weaknesses? What oh. we do is we get into like, oh, I'm insecure now mode. Cause I don't want to brag and I don't want to sound like an idiot. So I'm going to just give these, like, my strength is solving problems and my weakness is procrastination. And I always say to people, when they do that in the mock interviews with me, I go every job solves problems that's like literally the definition of a job so here's a dog that needs to be walked do you want that to be your job and they're like no and i go but i thought you solve problems <laughs> <laughs> and they're like uh not those problems i'm like well then what problems let's give right. real answers to these questions and um and then when they say procrastination is a weakness i go who doesn't procrastinate something like whether right. it's eating well or calling your parents or whatever the heck the thing is, everyone's procrastinating something. So I'm like, don't give non answers to crappy questions. And so what I say instead is like, there's a question behind every question. And even if the interviewer doesn't know what they're asking, you can make good assumptions. So like when someone says, what are your strengths and weaknesses? What they're really saying is if we put you on this team, what tasks should we assign to you? And what tasks should we assign to someone else? because we don't want to assign to you things that you don't want to do. And so I always say like, well, I'm great at dealing with emotions. So send me all the people who are crying and I'm terrible (laughs) (laughs) at at data. So please don't ask me to analyze data. And then I give a story to go with each of those things. And then they know if we hire this person, he's not going to be doing data analysis of job seekers to predict future outcomes, but he can deal with anyone who's like having a full on breakdown. And that's what I want them to know. And so with all these questions, like, tell me about yourself, everyone hates that. But really what they're saying is, I don't know how to start this conversation. Can you kick things off? And then you get to decide, how do I like to kick things off? Because what what people will do is they'll go, I'll say, tell me about yourself. Well, what would you like to know? Whatever you'd like to tell me. Well, where should I start? Wherever (laughs) you want. And then I'm like we're going to start this over. Cause like you, you're yep. not giving like, what a, what a confrontational way to beginning an interview. And so, um, with all these things, like this is again, why I try to make it less personal and more businessy or whatever the phrase might be a little bit. Yeah. More, more business, not personal. Right. Um, is because when it's personal, then we get stressed, then we ramble, then we go off on rants and things like that but if it's just no i'm i'm here to help your company you're the ones who are in pain not me your company put this job listing up because you suck i don't (laughs) suck i have a skill set that can help your company suck less (laughs) right so so but we're all you know insecure in different ways and so it's tough to have that confidence
1: it is and and only if only if that were a real conversation, that would be phenomenal. Like I can imagine sitting in front of an interviewer and be like, well, listen, you know, you should just hire me because I already know I'm going to make your company suck less. But <laughs> it is it's interesting because those are the questions I also hate. And that the second part of that is, is the if I called your, your previous supervisor, what would they say? Mm-hmm. And I want to be like, let's get him on the line. You know, let's <laughs> you can just ask him directly because I don't know. You know, I'm not that supervisor. I don't know how they felt. You know, I don't know how they feel. Um, but it's so
0: interesting. The last supervisor that. might be terrible. <laughs> right. You know? exactly. oh, yeah, that's they a might have other, a bad. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. But I, I like that, you know, the, the tell me about how I used to start my interviews with was walk me through your resume. I want to start there. You know, I want to know where you've been, what you're doing, where you're looking to go. And then always the follow up is it's OK. So your last position was here where did you want to go in that company? You know, I'm always wanting Mm. to, to dig in a little bit more, you know, to see why they left without indirectly asking, why did you leave? What, you know, where did you want to go with that company? And that, in that answer, I've always gotten why they left. I wanted to go here, but Sally got promoted over me and I got pissed and left.
0: You're creating that space for them to do that. Right. And so like, unfortunately most people who are interviewing us aren't skilled and aren't thinking in the way that you're thinking, which is like, Oh, I'm actually trying to learn about this person. They're just like, I'm reading from this list. And um, again, this brings me back to like, we, we should almost, I, I, I say, this is a, a bit of a, a joke, but like we should almost treat it like a politician doing a debate. Like <laughs> you, the politician doesn't get up there and go, boy, I hope they ask me this question so I can tell <laughs> that story. No, they go. You ask me a question. I'm going to ignore that question. I'm going to tell this story. And like, obviously don't do that. Don't go so extreme because politicians are annoying. But if they ask us a question that's in the ballpark of a story that we can tell, tell the story. And like, even if you go off a little bit to the side of the question, you can always, you know, you'll probably still get some good information out there. And then you can always say, is there anything else you'd like me to clarify or add? And then you can build on it. Um, But like to the tell me about yourself question. It's like, what are the phases of your career? In phase one, I did this, and I learned this, which led me to this, where I'm doing this, which can help your company with this, and we can work together. It's all about cause and effect, and it's all about how you're learning and growing. So I'm glad you asked the question the way you do, because what you're trying to understand is how are people moving through the transitions? It's not just the what, it's the why and the what happened next. Um, and so cause and effect is huge in all this stuff.
1: I believe in the why behind the why. Um, you know, if I tell you to do something, you're going to want to know why. Right. So, Martin, I want you to do X, Y and Z. Just do it because I told you to do it. And most people accept that. I'm I'm not most people. And, and I've challenged leaders in the past, you know, above me, below me, you know, beside me. And I just want to know why. Because I'm also a big fan of inclusion with my with my team, too. You know, like you're going to tell me to do this because it makes sense in your mind that you haven't been in a store in 10 years. And you thought 10 years ago, this was a good idea. But now I want to challenge that I want to know why, because then when I'm telling my team to do it, they have a better understanding, but I'm also going to provide feedback. Typically, I'll do it. But I want to know the why behind it. And then I'm going to provide you feedback, whether it went well, it didn't go well, you know, things like that. So it's a very interesting culture we live in. I want to circle back around though, to like the job boards you were talking about earlier. So what are some good areas that people could look for, like higher quality jobs, like more responsive employers, I should say.
0: Sure. So the way I think about it is to break it down in like in like into batches. So I say focus on industries that you're interested in, job titles you're interested in, and locations you're interested in. And then utilize LinkedIn as a job board, sure, but also as a data um, research center, basically. So social media, the true power of social media is not in the social part of it. It's in the data collection part of it. And so what companies pay for and why social media companies are as big and powerful as they are is because we are the products. They mine all of our data and they sell it off and recruiters are paying lots of money and companies are paying lots of money to access your information. The beautiful thing is that's also free on LinkedIn. It's also available to us. So instead of going to the job um, dropdown, mm-hmm. I like to go to the people drop down. And so what you do is you click on the search bar, hit enter, and then it shows you all the data. And then you click on people and you go to the filters. I'm getting really into the details here, (laughs) but basically you put in the location you want to work, the industry you're interested in and your title, and you can see who has your job. And this is incredibly powerful because you can network with those people. You can research their pages, like their actual personal pages and steal keywords or phrases or you know, you know, marketing is all about theft. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> what did they do to get noticed? Right? right. Um, And you can see where they've worked before. So like what companies led them to that company, you can, you know, there's so much information in there that we can pull and then utilize in our job search. And again, the most powerful piece is that networking piece. And so what I do is I network with people at the company that I want to work at. And I set up job alerts on the company page for that company. And I come at it from both sides. And in the ideal situation, which has happened to me a couple of times, you're the first person notified about a job. You immediately reach out to the person you've already networked with who's at that company. And they put you at the top of the list through an internal referral before anyone else even applies. And somehow you bypass the whole process. Um, of course that's like, you know, a lot of trial and error to get there, but, uh, the best way possible is to combine forces of in-person networking and all of the different tools that are available through LinkedIn and these different sites
1: to me it's better than blindly applying and expecting a response right so mm-hmm. you know and that's that's what i think we're all at right now and and this this advice is is very valuable and i appreciate it because it's you know it's things that i haven't thought of and i'm sure other people haven't thought of either hence the reason that you have whole business doing this. So it's, it's interesting though. Talk, talk to me about resumes. Do you feel that you need separate resumes for every like job category? Like if I wanted to be in it, I would have a resume for that. Or if I wanted to be in retail and have a resume
0: for that, or do you feel that one resume is good for everything? I think the resume should be tailored to the job title. So if you're applying to multiple job titles, maybe you need different resumes. So I remember back when I was still doing content marketing and coaching, I had a content resume. I had a coaching resume and then I had like a hybrid. I really didn't use the hybrid one. I think I just kept them specific to the titles. And then I realized I didn't want to be in marketing anymore. And I just came down to one resume at that point. Um, I don't think you need to tailor it for every job, but I do think you need to look up the jobs that you're applying to find out what like the most common stuff is across a few of them and then put that in your resume. So the keywords need to match. Cause that's, they're just doing robot keyword matching, like really basic stuff from early Google. And so we shouldn't be applying to tons of different job titles anyway, because if, if you're applying to like, like program manager and project manager, fine, it's pretty simple, similar, Sorry. put them both in the thing and, and go, but it, or if you're in marketing, you just create a general marketing resume that could cover a lot of different bases um, and send it out to all the different social or, or digital or whatever they title it. But you shouldn't be going like, oh, half of me wants to be in this job, which is completely different than this job, and I'm gonna apply to both because then you get scattered. So no, I think, I think a basic resume that covers your bases is good enough. And I honestly believe that people put way too much emphasis or way too much stock in their resume helping with their job search. I don't think the resume does as much as we think it does. I think most people think it's like 70% of the job search is my resume and the rest is who knows what. What I've found is that if you network correctly, they almost never even look at your resume. Like the, the, even if you apply through the job boards, they're only going to spend about six to 60 seconds looking at your resume is what the, you know, the typical advice is. And, and that means that no one's reading it. No one's really, re- they're scanning it. right? And if they're just scanning it, like the best scenario is I've talked to someone at the company, I've gotten an internal referral. I have the first interview and they say, Hey, send over your resume before the interview. They get the resume, they check the box, they barely look at it because you've already been referred internal and they throw it <laughs> to the side cause they don't care about your resume and they just want to talk to you. Now that's not a blanket truth. Like they will look at your resume. It does matter and you need to have one that's good enough, but there is a big difference between good enough and perfect. And I think people are going for perfect and then they never get to the job search because they're constantly tweaking their resume. And this is coming from someone who used to every single week for four years while I was in college, tweak my resume. And I think I wasted a lot of time. <laughs> I think yeah. just a basic, simple resume that covers your bases and doesn't have mistakes is is good enough.
1: Right. I see. I use my LinkedIn profile. There's a, a beautiful feature on there that it allows you to create a resume based on your LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. And it even has the link in the, the for LinkedIn so they can go in and see, you know, everything else. So that's 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 awesome typically too. what I use. And. So talk to me now we've got the interview, right? So what are some good questions to ask your interviewer about the position, about the job?
0: That's important. That's an important thing to to think about. So <laughs> when we're too hard we to ask. Get here, so. <laughs> right? Yeah, and and that's the thing like there's so many funny things about interviews. We think it's about sounding impressive, like we need to have like really impressive answers and we need to impress these people. But if you ever think about like dating analogies, like the guy who's trying to impress a girl on a date is not the one that wins. Like he, he, yeah. you come off as like overconfident or, you know, a bunch of words you won't say or, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're all adults and so, here, Martin. It's okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you don't want to be a D bag. And so <laughs> when you go into an interview and you try to quote unquote fake it, right. Till you make it, you're, you're just going to like, if you don't believe you, they're not going to believe you. Right. So we need to start by saying, well, of course, I don't know everything. Of course, once I get into this job, I'm going to have to like Google a lot of stuff and figure things out as I go, but I'm capable enough to do this. And I trust that I could do this job if they gave it to me, then we have that confidence. And then we have to, we have to get the other person to feel as confident as we're feeling. If we don't feel confident, like people say, I'm, I just need, need someone to give me a chance. I need a foot in the door. I need someone to just take a chance on me. Companies don't take chances. They trust you or they don't trust you. And so when you flip it to say, I'm trying to build trust with this person, I'm trying to show that I understand their needs and I'm trying to help them understand that I can help them. <laughs> like it's such a weird way to say that, but I'm trying to help them yeah. understand that I can help them. And so when you get to the end of the interview, a lot of times people will blow it by asking really weird questions. <laughs> They'll be like, what's the culture like here? And that's something that everyone's always told to ask. And I go, what kind of an answer do you expect to get from that question? Right. Like, they're going to say, it's a great culture. I love working here. They're paying me right now to represent the company. So, of course, I'm going to say this. Even if, like, the number of people I've talked to who are like, oh, like, I'm, I'm coaching them to quit this company and get a new job. And they're like, oh, I just had to interview someone today. And, like, that poor soul, if they get this job, I feel bad for them. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, like this person, your interviewer might be trying to quit right now, but they can't right. say that in the interview. Right. Um, and so if you say like, how do you like working here? Well, they're not going to tell you the truth because they're currently on company time. If you got them, you know, a coffee at a at a coffee shop on a, on a Saturday or something, they might open up to you and you might learn a lot more. Um, but those questions, I don't like culture questions. I just don't feel like you get real honest answers from people when you ask them in the interview. That's why I, again, try and do that in the networking portion um, because then I get real honest feedback. So what I do is I say, your whole point is to get them to trust you and what would build trust. Trust is built by them knowing that you care about what they care about. So what do they care about? Again, this is going back to that incentive thing that we talked about earlier. It's like, what is, their incentive to put you to the next round. They don't want to look stupid. They don't want to, it may have a bad hire be put on them as the blame. Like they're kind of hedging their bets in some ways or hedging their reputation in some ways. So what we want to do is we want to ask questions that indicate we're going to be high performers in the role. If I say, when does vacation start? You're going to be like, all this guy cares about is vacation. (laughs) If I say, how do you measure success in this role? You're going to say, this guy cares about being successful. And it's about, it's about indicating your value system and your value system should be, I'm here to bring value. (laughs) And so um, I always ask questions like, how do you measure success? What attributes are you looking for in this role? What did the previous person in this job do that was really good and made them stand out? that you want replicated in this role? What's the current makeup of the team? And what are you missing? And what gaps are you trying to fill? Because then they'll say it and then you can go, that's great. Here's an example of how I've done that in the past. And now you're Sure. So really focusing on that performance based questions, and I'm going to be someone who comes in and is just working from day one to make this place better. That's what they want to hear. In my experience.
1: That's interesting. I my favorite thing was I just interviewed with a company uh, a couple of weeks ago, and after the interview, it was oh, that that infamous "Do you have any questions for me?" and I asked, "How can you give me some feedback on how our conversation went?" and they were just like, "Uh." Um, well, uh, and gave me a 20-minute dissertation mm. about, and just kind of danced around because they'd never been asked that question before, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's every interview I've been, I've always asked that question at the end, just, you know, and the only reason I do that is because I want to know, and I told him, I explained this to him as well, the only reason I'm asking is because if I have to interview with somebody else in your company, uh, you know, whether after you or somebody else, I would just like some feedback on how you felt the conversation went so I can improve some of my answers, you know, are they too long-winded, are they short-winded, not
0: enough information, you know, but... But you have to like, again, put yourself in their shoes, right? Like there's a few things that they're probably worried about in answering that question. Number one, no one, people really struggle with conflict and honesty in interpersonal interactions in general. And so they're probably not good at that just personally. But the second thing is, are there any like career or legal ramifications to saying something wrong? So if I said is there anything you didn't like about me? And the person, let's say, I don't know, I had glasses on that they thought looked stupid and that was in their head. And they said that to me, (laughs) they're like, that can get me in trouble. Right. And that's just a stupid example, but like there's diversity implications. There are um, tons of legal things that companies can get sued over if, it's one of the reasons why it's so hard to get them to give feedback after the interview. Oh, I didn't get the job. Do you have any feedback of things I can improve? And they always go, we just went with someone internal. And it's like, well, (laughs) yeah, because they don't want to put into writing something that you could then turn around and sue them with. Sure. And I've actually seen people get told like you didn't get hired because of this thing. And it's kind of like ageist or something. And it's like, go have fun with your lawsuit because you have (laughs) one here. Like it's in writing. Like, And the person's like, I don't want to deal with the lawsuit. I'll just apply to somewhere else. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, obviously, like who wants to go through that? But like that the like companies and the other thing is most companies and most interviewers have no idea why they want to move you forward. They think they do. They wrote down a bunch of stuff. But usually it's like, I just, I don't know. I just felt good talking to that person. And like, yeah, we could break that down. And I'm sure there's a lot of bias and like terrible stuff in there. But that's also just like, human interaction in general and so if I actually ask someone like well why do you want to date me they're gonna be like oh gosh oh, I don't know I just had that feeling yeah. <laughs> <And> like uh <laughs> I guess I don't know I like your haircut and I'm like yeah should, should I cut it the same way for like I don't know like should I grow my beard like now we're getting to the nitty-gritty of growing beards and stuff and people have asked me that like should I cut my beard before the interview and I'm like I mean it doesn't really matter I mean it does be. if you meet if you meet with someone who doesn't like beards and subconsciously they don't want to talk to you because they don't like beards like sure yeah that'll be an issue but you might shave your face and the person subconsciously doesn't like shaved faces like who knows like <laughs> exactly Like, there's no way like and that's the other thing kind of that we're hitting on here is stop trying to change yourself for the last person you talk to um again to use the dating analogy it's like well this person doesn't like glass so now i wear contacts. But this person doesn't like contacts. So now I'm getting LASIK. And this person is like, you're constantly changing yourself for someone who's already rejected you. And the same in the job search. It's like, that company didn't like this. So I'm going to change that. And then in the next company, they're like, well, we don't care about that. You're like, well, then why did I do that? It's like, I don't know. And so like at a certain point, we just have to say, this is what I am. This is what I do. This is who I am. Like take it or leave it. And as long as, you know, I'm not getting like face tattoos or something, which are like glaringly obvious, most stuff is fine. Like most stuff is fine. It's not fine for every company, but like, you know, you'll see people have political stuff on their LinkedIn profile and you go hundred percent fine to do if you want to brand yourself with that, but just know that that cuts out this percentage of companies or people at those companies who don't think that way. Share the same. Um, yeah. And, and it's like, again, that's perfectly fine because you probably want to work somewhere where you're politically aligned. If that's, your your perspective but you also have to know the ramifications This is the promotion side of things right you have to know the ramifications of what you do so like when I create content sometimes I am you know I make like a comic strip and I feel like oh maybe I'm like pushing this too far maybe I'm like or I'll use a swear word in something I'm like maybe I shouldn't do that you know maybe I should just be clean or whatever but at a certain point you know You you are you're only gonna really appeal to a certain number of people. And certain things really narrow that and certain things only somewhat narrow that. And we have to kind of walk that line of like being ourselves, being authentic, but also being accessible, if that makes sense. And that that push and pull between those two things is a tough dance. But um, you know, the I, I worked with someone who had autism and who has autism. And he didn't ever want to talk about it. But it was impacting his interviews. And so eventually, you know, he had to integrate those two things. It's like, either talk about it, or accept the fact that not talking about it is going to create confusion. And, you know, he's going through rounds of interviews at Google now. And it's like, awesome, because he embraced it. And now he's like, you know, out there doing a really amazing job with his content online and promoting himself. And and it's just kind of, it's really cool to see the, the growth that can happen when you just go, this is who I am and I'm going to figure out a way to make this work and I'll find the companies that are okay with it. There's, there's a
1: shift here that's happening. And I just wish that more and more companies and recruiters would get onto that, you know, like Tattoos was a thing back in the day. You couldn't have a you couldn't mm-hmm. be a server and have a tattoo or work a front desk at a hotel and have tattoos. Right. Now airlines are starting to allow it. And I'm, I'm glad to see that. I know it seems kind of minuscule, but I'm glad to see that they're starting to allow it. That means other companies will start following suit. You know, it's like the person in the in the classroom, the teacher asked the question, the first person raised their hand, now everybody else wants to answer that question too. You know, so I, I hope that people are understanding that there is a turn here. And and you're right, we gotta stop. Forming ourselves into somebody who we're not, because we think that's the job that we want. You know, and I mean, I've done several different industries, and I've only done that. You know, It's like credit. You can't get credit until you have it, but you can't have credit until you get it, right? So mm-hmm. when I interviewed in hotels, especially people go to school for a hotel management, I'm like, drop out, just drop out, because what's mm-hmm. going to happen is you're going to spend four years of your life and $50,000 only to work a front desk because you have no experience, you know, and a lot of people are looking for that experience. So I have devoted my career into hiring people that have no experience in the industry just to give them that experience. And it was very successful in my last role. I hired a person who was a CEO into a retail environment and he was phenomenal, phenomenal. Like he just adapted so well, you know, going from dealing with inmates to, to people for him was just like, it was a cakewalk and he just had the personality and he was so phenomenal at what he did. And, my whole team, as a matter of fact, was very inexperienced with you know the retail that we were in, and all of them they just they just blossomed I, I handpicked every one of them because they didn't have experience because I feel like a lot of that stuff you're bringing those old habits while well, I used to do it this way over there. And, you know, and they're willing to step out of their comfort zone of what they used to do into something else and try. If it didn't work, it didn't work. You know, we have 90 days, right? That's the, the saying. So, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so and and same with employers, too, though. We have 90 days to decide if that's something we want to do, you know. So and I, I don't think that people understand the importance of job hopping. It's a terrible term. But like you said earlier in the conversation it's okay. Three months later to decide, I don't, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to be here. And that's where most people get tied up in their head. Cause we're so ingrained, you know, oh, my father worked for this company for 30
0: years. He hated it, but he still did it.
1: It's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I was reading a book recently and there's a point in it that I thought was so good. And I've, I think I've heard in other places too, but basically your job is not your job. Whatever you're being paid to do is not your actual job. Your job is to find the next opportunity. And in order to find the next opportunity, you have to always be networking, always be growing, always be putting yourself out there. You have to be doing good in your job. You can't neglect your job because then that ruins future opportunities for you because it ruins your relationship with your bosses or potential promotions. And promotions are part of future jobs. So your job is always to find the next opportunity in your company or outside your company or on your own. And most people think their job is to go in and do whatever they're told to do that day. Mm. And the problem with that thinking is that you don't get credit for that. <laughs> like
2: yeah, That's just
0: right. what it is. It's just your and job. And so, yeah, you just did your job. Good for you. Why should we give you any more money? You're not doing anything different. And so um, that's where people get stuck. And so if we want our lives to keep you know, improving, changing, growing, protecting ourselves from layoffs, whatever the thing might be. We have to realize that keeping an ear open and an eye out for whatever's next is the most important piece. And that might mean you're not putting 110% towards your job. And when people start job seeking, they have a lot of guilt around backing off on their work in order to shift some of that energy to their job search. Um, and I was working with someone so funny. He's like, I'm I'm like, how much effort are you really putting in? Like, how much do you think they expect? And how much are you putting in? It's like, I'm probably putting in like, like 120% to what they expect. And I, and I go, okay, how little could you possibly put in and not get in trouble? And he goes, I don't know, probably like 80%. So I'm like, all right, so you're going to get a lot of energy back because we're chopping off a huge amount here. Right. And, you know, a few months went past and he got called into his boss's office and he was freaking out. And his boss goes, you're doing an incredible job and gave him a promotion. it's just so ridiculous? funny because he was like putting in all this effort for no reason. And, you know, eventually he found a new job and he moved on and everything was great. But it was just he's like, I can't believe I've been putting in like all that effort in the evenings and the weekends. And none of it was necessary. Like they didn't even expect it from me. They'll take it if I do it, but they didn't need it. And, um, you know, I mean, that's it's different if maybe you're in sales and you're commission based or you know, whatever, there's a thousand different scenarios here, but I always say like, what's the least amount you can put in without getting in trouble? Because most people are like, well, I can't find another job because ah, where is the time? And I'm like, there's time. There's yeah. always time. Yeah, We just have to adjust and, and make yeah. room for it. And that I think also realizing your
1: actual job description and your role is very important too. You know, I mean, I understand there's always that clause that says in other responsibilities that may came up. I, I I get that, you know, but also like you just said, OK, maybe that that weekend was a one time deal. You know, I have to work just this weekend coming up because of, you know, these circumstances that are happening. But do I have to do it every weekend? Is that a new norm now? Mm. You know, and challenging that too, like, you know, hey. I understand I worked this one weekend, but do I have to continue to do this? Is there a reason behind this? You know, if I'm working these weekends, can I adjust my weekly schedule? You know, like there's so many ways to, to get around that. And, it, and again, it's not being lazy by any means. It's just doing exactly what is expected of you to do. Is, is your, are you performing well? Is your store or whatever it is, your hotel, whatever you're managing, is it under control? Is everything good? You know find find those fires plus it leaves you open to have a a good work-life balance too if you're and it's
0: helpful for the company too right the company doesn't want people who are burnt out like i literally today one of my students was going i realized that me getting out of this job makes everyone's life better because i'm getting resentful and that's Mm. bad for the company so me doing a job search that will get me out of this job is actually beneficial to my employer because then they're not paying someone who resents working here, who's then going to bring a bad attitude to work. And I'm like, I love that mental gymnastics. You did keep going. Like whatever yeah. you need to do to get yourself to move forward, because that's true. Like if a company, if I'm a company owner, I don't want to be paying someone who hates doing their job. And it's also expensive to hire someone new. So like, let's, I, I really wish companies would realize like getting their employees to move up or move out of their company is a benefit to the company. Absolutely. It's not a detriment.
1: There's a, well, there's a lot of companies. There's still, again, this goes back to the old mentality of, you know, like if you're good at what you're doing, I can't move you anywhere else because I need you in that position. But if you're bad, we're going to get you out. You know, so there's never an opportunity for like, oh, th- you know, Martin's great at this. So let's maybe challenge him a little bit more and move him to this position instead, because who's going to fill Martin's position? Oh, shit. Oh my God, what Mm -hmm. am I gonna do? Mm -hmm. Now I have to work to fill that position, right? But again, in in my management leadership style, I've always been about growth. I want to grow my people. I want to train my replacement. I want people to grow. I want them to move up or move out. I feel like if you've been in any position for more than two or three years, you're complacent. You're just happy where you're at, and there's no more challenge. Like you're here because this is an easy job, and that's what it is. And some people are okay with that, but I think that companies need to recognize that and say, okay, you know, Martin, we've been doing this for about three years now. You're great at your job. What else do you want to do? I mean, I can't force you to do anything, but what else do you, you know, do you see yourself somewhere else within the company? You know, we have these openings. Would you be interested in those? And I think that will also spark some conversations because you may think as an employee, there's nothing here for me. No one approached me about it. So why should I approach my boss and, and get the fear of rejection? You know, so there's, there's many things at
0: play. So hundred a and- even just that question makes people feel heard and appreciated, which then makes them work harder. So like, again, all these things come back around to the positive. And at the end of the day, what, what, what people want is just to be like, everyone says passion and stuff like that, but you know, it's getting all cliched and everything, but really it's like appreciation to just feel like anyone even cares that I'm doing what I do. I mean, it's why I left marketing and moved into education because I was like, I feel like I just do a lot of things and I never see what happened. Like I do stuff and it goes out into the marketing and maybe I see some numbers change on a spreadsheet maybe, but I never see someone interact with it. I never see like someone enjoy it. Like I don't build a product that like I can like see someone wearing like yeah. I, I I don't have any feedback loop here so it just felt so like George Jetson hitting a button like you're at least he's making sprockets right yeah. and like <laughs> when 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 I'm doing this work when I moved to education I was doing like I was doing teaching and marketing and sales and coaching I was like in some kind of crazy like hybrid role I was like all of it I'm seeing, even with the marketing stuff I'm doing, I'm sitting down with people one-on-one and asking what their goals are and seeing if this boot camp is right for them. And like, there was so much immediate feedback. I'm like, man, that just feels so good. And I was getting feedback from my employers. And like, that's why these, the turnover is so high. at so many companies because that connection is lost. And I think probably all this remote work is just exacerbating that a lot too, but it's really tough. It's tough to figure out what the right mix is and how, you know, when your manager is unhappy, how do they make you feel good? Right? Like I quit a job once and at the going away party, the manager goes, you inspired me to quit too. And I was like, dang, (laughs) no wonder I was having a hard time in this role. Exactly.
1: It's (laughs) like, why did you tell me that two weeks ago? I could have took your role, you know, (laughs) like it's just just a wonderful person. I uh, love him to death, but it's insane. Now, You had said, uh, I think it was on your website. The economy is up. The economy is down. The truth is, you can get a job. Someone is getting Mm -hmm. hired this month. Do the right things, and that could be it. Could be you. What advice do you have? I know we talked a lot about different things, but just just sum it up for me. What advice do you have for these for these poor unfortunate souls?
0: So I I wrote that in like a spur of the moment. Like, I'm just so frustrated. Uh, (laughs) That's how a lot of everybody else is. LinkedIn. Yeah, my LinkedIn posts are, because um, like, and I, what I was upset about is all the articles that LinkedIn puts on the right side of the website. Yeah. They're like, here's the news. Here's what's happening in the news. And I'm someone who's like, I I'm of the belief that if it's important, it will get to me somehow. Like. I don't watch the news. I try to consume as little as possible. And the big things I still know about. There's never been a big thing that I haven't found out about, even though I try to avoid it. So when I read these things on the right-hand side, every day I just go, are you trying to give my clients heart attacks? (laughs) Stop this. You're driving me Mm -hmm. insane. It's like, this company just laid off 500 people and Mm -hmm. the economy's up and the economy's down and the economy's nothing. And the economy's up and it's down, it's nothing. And they they just psych every day. It's the opposite of what the previous day was. And I'm like, well, yeah, because if you just slice it in this way, it looks like that. If you slice it in this way, it looks like that. And I was just getting so frustrated because people kept coming to me and going, well, the economy's down right now. So of course I can't get a job. And I'm like, okay, the thing that's going to keep you from getting the job is the fact that you think you can't get a job. Right. Maybe the economy plays into that more, but the assumption that you can't get a job because of the economy is so much worse than the down, than the, than the, you know, for the next two months, the economy's down or whatever metric they use to measure it this week. And so this, and this goes all the way back to my early days of coaching, when this stuff wasn't as like up and down as it is today. Well, Bitcoin crashed. Oh no, now what? No one can give it. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> but like, I remember when I first started coaching uh, around the holidays, everyone would stop job searching. They'd go, well, it's Thanksgiving, so I'm going to stop searching and go spend time with my family. And I go, okay. And then they come back from Thanksgiving. And they're like, oh, I'm really full and Christmas is coming up. So I'm just going to wait till after Christmas. And I go, Okay. And then, well, it was New Year's and I'm hungover. So I'm just going to wait a few weeks till I get back on track. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, January, February, March, April. And they're like, oh, I just got out of the swing of things. I guess I should start searching again. And then all of a sudden it's November again. And so like it just what what killed your job search wasn't Christmas. What killed your job search was the break you took Mm -hmm. because of Christmas. Now, if you're burnt out and you need a, a week to get back on track, take it. I'm not saying never stop. And I also don't think that a job search is a full-time job. I don't think you should spend eight hours a day, five days a week doing it. I think it'd probably rip all your hair out if you do. My point is people get jobs that I work with every Christmas, every new year's, someone got hired on new year, new year's day once because the company would needed someone and they were the only person responding to emails. And so like, If you take the news and then you apply it to yourself in a, I'm not going to X whatever, then of course, nothing will ever happen. The same way as if I said, well, it's the holidays. No one's going to hire a coach during the holidays or people don't hire coaches in the summer. So I guess I'll just stop marketing my business all summer. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, it's like, sure. A clothing brand might do the majority of their business, Around the holidays every year, but they don't stop marketing their stuff in the summer. Right. And Coca-Cola, everyone knows that Coca-Cola exists everywhere in the world. There's probably not a part of the there's parts of the world that have more Coke than they have water. But do you ever see Coke stop advertising? Do you ever see them change their tone to, I guess no one wants to buy any soda drinks this week? Like, no, it's it's (laughs) keep going. Like you have to put yourself out there and You know, I've seen people during the uh, Christmas season go crash Christmas parties at companies that they want to work at.
1: That's a pretty cool idea. I mean,
0: it's a weird thing to do, but if you do it right, you might be able to meet someone and then go, hey, you know, let's grab coffee after the holidays. And now you've got yourself an in at the company. So... All right, that's my rant. You got me on a topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no,
1: it's good though. It's it's really interesting. It's all like you know, innovative idea. And and you know, I'm not saying no one else thought of this, but for me, like, it's really cool to think about stuff like that because I never would have thought to go to someone's Christmas party, you know, just to, at a company that I wanted to like, Hey, I know you're having this Christmas party. You, you advertise. Somebody is going to advertise that on some social media platform. I can't wait mm-hmm. to go to my, you know, my company's Christmas party. It's out of control crazy. So of course, you know, I'm going to want to go to that. So all of the advice and, and the things that we talked about today was really, really awesome. Martin and I appreciate your time today. Tell everybody where they can find you.
0: Sure. Uh, so careertherapy.com uh, is my site where you can pretty much find everything from the podcast that I do to the coaching that I do. Um, I'm on LinkedIn way more than I want to ever be, but you know, <laughs> aren't we all? Right. And, uh, you know, I share things there. I'm not the biggest social media person. So, you know, it's, it's mostly just sharing the podcast or chatting with people in, in the chat. So if you have questions or you want to reach out, chat in LinkedIn is the best way to go. Um, and I believe those are all the places. My website and LinkedIn are the best.
1: As much as employers say they're looking hard for employees, they're often not looking in the right places or in the right ways. HR departments are leaning too heavily on technology to weed out candidates, and they're just not being creative enough in terms of how they consider applications and what type of people could be the right fit. There's a lack of imagination on the employer's side. They assume that what people are doing is what they are qualified for, even if that current job is unsuitable for them. Say a person is working part-time as a shift manager but wants to be a full-time sales manager. Doing the first job might harm their chances of getting that job offer. The endless quest to make hiring efficient has rendered it insufficient. Candidates who are great fits for 90% of the job are screened out because they're not perfect for the other 10%. Recruiters are so inundated with resumes flowing in online that they only look at the first few, hiring the people they can get the fastest instead of the people who are the best fit. Meanwhile, for candidates, the entire process is a black box. They end up getting two job offers in less than a week after not hearing anything for months, and they have no idea why. I hope this episode has helped all of my fellow job seekers out there. Remember, you are not alone in this, and we are in this together. Martin McGovern has laid out some really awesome ideas about how to get in contact with people. And the main lesson I took from this episode is just networking, networking, networking. Leverage LinkedIn. Leverage other companies. Try to get in through referrals because clearly job boards aren't working.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.